0: It's good to see everybody this morning. I'm starting to get nervous. That whole half was nearly empty. (laughs) And I guess the point I want to make out of that is when you're not here, it's not always in a lump sum where it's so noticeable, but you're missed. And so we're glad that you're here today and hope that what we talk about will be beneficial to you if you're young or if you're old. In my mind, I've got several things that I think are topics that need to be covered, oh, maybe every four or five years. Because as we do that, as people grow up, uh, kids are at an age to learn things about life, probably from about 13 to 17, 14 to 18. And so there are things I think they need to hear once from the pulpit before they get gone and while they're old enough still to understand what's what's going on. And I think it's good for all of us to talk about money. Uh, The Bible talks about money in dozens of places. And we talk about the way the world influences us. But I dare say that uh, maybe it's not bills or coins anymore. But in some form or fashion, all of us deal with money multiple times a day. And we just kind of go about our business. And some of it's habit and some of it's not. But I want to look at the biblical principles about money. And I'm going to give a few few uh, workable examples I always say I don't know anybody's business, so if I make up an example and it looks like you, it's not about you. Uh, I always make examples out of lots of things. That way I can always say it's not about anybody particular. But I always like to use personal examples because that helps helps us all understand how to make an application. Because as with anything in the Bible, if you don't read it and then somehow figure out a way to make a personal application about it, well, it really doesn't do you that much good. And so that's why I use the examples that I use. Hopefully you'll find it interesting, and hopefully you'll find it biblical, and you'll be able to base the financial decisions that you make, uh, whether you're young and just starting out on that road, whether you're old and have made a lot of good or bad decisions, hopefully it'll help you put it in place uh, with biblical biblical perspective. My goal this morning is not to tell you you're a sinner because you do things a certain way or to come across uh, as, well, if you didn't do it this way, well, somehow you don't have a, a lick of sense in your head. A lot of people have done things a lot of different ways, and there's a lot of reasons why you've done it that way. So that's not my goal. My goal is to give you principles so that you can make good, sound decisions going from here. There are always consequences to decisions. I think if you were here Sunday night, that's what Andrew talked about. Consequences of decisions. And that's that's very true with the way we spend our money and the way we plan to spend our money. Jay talked last Sunday morning, if you were here, he talked about sin in particular. And that didn't get very big. as I guess it's about as big as the board he wrote on uh, that morning. But my goal is to help us avoid complications, is what he told, talked about. And many times, that's what... The misuse of money or not proper planning with money, it makes our life really, really complicated to the point that it causes a lot of other problems, many of which can be avoided if we put biblical principles to use. Proverbs 1, verses 8 and 9 says this, My son, hear the instruction of your father. Don't forsake the law of your mother. For they will be a graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. The way I look at this kind of thing is just like I looked at it with my kids. I want to teach them things just like my parents want to teach me. Some of you are older than my parents, so it's kind of an awkward deal. I'm not going to be that role to you. But that's the attitude that I think uh, I want to come across with is I want to help you understand things that are going to help make your life better, particularly if you're young. Because if you do, I'm not going to put a necklace on you or I'm going to make jewelry for you, but hopefully it'll make your life better. It'll make you able to be able to better serve God. That's really what, what the ultimate goal of avoiding complications is, right? In Isaiah 55 and verse 8, a biblical principle says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are, my ways, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. We use that in a lot of different scenarios. And I want you to think about it this way this morning. If you watch TV, if you go to a car dealership, if you go to a college recruiter, all of those people think about money in a way that God doesn't think about money. We're constantly bombarded with spend more than you have. That somehow we deserve whatever product or service those people have. We deserve to have it. And in so doing, they encourage us to do things that are at the very least going to make our lives complicated. Let's think about godly ways. The other thing I want you to think about is, is what we read about in Second Corinthians 10 and 12. For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise every single one of us falls trap at some point in our life of comparing our financial situation to somebody else's and that may be well they've got a new car so somehow we may not even vocalize it well it's about time for me to get a new car or well they've got weigh a lot of money so they don't have the problems I have or any number of things uh, comparing ourselves to other people that's not wise (laughs) That's, that's the simple matter of it we need to look at God's principles in our situation and apply them to ourselves and not be so worried about how do we compare to other people that's not a good comparison what we find in the Bible is that God has used people over time that have a lot of money Nothing sinful about having a lot of money. Solomon's a great example. There's nobody wiser or richer than Solomon. That's what we find in 1 Kings 10 and 23. And for a good part of his life, Solomon was a great worker for God. Probably one of the poorest people we read about in the Bible. Maybe maybe he had more than the widow's two mites, but we read about Lazarus. And his story goes down in history. Uh, he was a beggar that had nothing. In Luke 16 and 25, Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime received good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he's comforted and thou art tormented. One of the poorest people we read in the Bible was comforted in this particular parable. So it's not about the amount of money that we have or don't have. It's about what we do with it and how we use it. So some principles I want to think about and want you to think about as we talk about this. One is that we are a steward. And, and that's not a common word that we use. A caretaker might be a way to think about it. Back in the old days, we might, a hired hand might be what we would think about, but a, or a manager. A steward was someone that was put in charge of the landowner's stuff. And it was his job to take care of it, uh, to improve it, to treat it like it was his own. But what we're trying to draw a picture of here, it wasn't his. The steward didn't own anything. The steward was just a caretaker. It, that's how we have to look, about the, look at about the things that we have. It's really easy for me to look at, well, I did this. Went to school and got a degree. Well, I got a job and did this, so I was able to get a better job and did this. Got a better job. Eventually, well, look how good I did. And every one of us can do that to some extent. What we have to remember is what David said in Psalms 24 and 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein just like a steward didn't own the land that he was taking care of or the property and farm that he was tending to, but was expected to do a good job, that's what God expects of us with the things that we have. You know, it's really not, uh, I think I probably used the example before, I've given this lesson or some form of it two or three times over the last 30 years. Uh, It's not the money itself that we love. Uh, Those of you that are old enough to remember the Beverly Hillbillies, You remember Mr. Drysdale, the banker? He'd always pass out, and they'd get a a wad of 50s and put on his head to get his fever to come down. Uh, I guess he's the only one that really actually loved the smell of money and money. We want the stuff and the prestige and all the things it can do for us that that in our minds can make us comfortable. And there's a certain amount that it takes to live, but we have to be very careful that the things that money can do for us, that we don't get so attracted to that and so drawn up in that, that we forget who really owns it all. When we keep it in that perspective, that it's not really ours, that will help us make sound decisions. We're going to spend a fair amount of time talking about planning, because life in general takes planning, and some people are planners, and some people aren't planners. But when you just go through life and take the day as it comes, and make a decision based on the day, and then make another decision based on that decision, it's pretty easy to get things, at least at the, at the best, meandering through life, and you never really get anywhere. You know, the Bible teaches to plan. We plan for heaven as our ultimate goal, and if we keep that goal, you know, we're reminded of the great sacrifice every Sunday morning. When we keep that on the front of our mind, well, that helps us make decisions to get to that goal that we're reminded of. And, and the same thing holds true about money. When we just take it from paycheck to paycheck, we tend to get in trouble. When we have a plan, at least a place to go, we tend to do better. The Bible's full of wisdom about that. Proverbs 11 and 14, where no counsel is, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors, there's safety. I would dare say there are people here that have made probably nearly every financial mistake and success that you could think of. Uh, I can think of back in my own life. I can think of having to change careers when I'm 40. I've heard there's farmers here that lost their business when they were 50. There are people that had a good solid job till they were 60 and the company sold out and lost their retirement. Uh, there are people that overspent and bought three new cars and couldn't afford it and had to make great changes in their life. There are, there's a lot of experience in the room. And most of us don't want to go back and revisit those dark times because the way we think about it is we think our financial situation reflects bad on us. Because, as we read back earlier, we were comparing ourselves to other people and their situation that was so much better than ours We let it get on top of us in lots of ways. But the point of the, the Scripture that we're reading is there are a lot of people here that have experienced things that don't want other people to have to experience what they did. They want to help us avoid those types of things. And so counselors in this and other situations is always good. It's always good to get advice from people. Proverbs 29 and 18, we read this a lot. Where there's no vision, the people perish. He's talking particularly about the law and keeping our minds on God's law, but the same thing's true. If we just spend money like there's no tomorrow, well, when tomorrow gets here, (laughs) we're going to wish we thought about it different. And so when we've got a vision for the future, we're able to make better decisions. And and here's what I'm talking about in a practical sense, particularly for, for people that are younger. You have to think about what does it cost to live. You know, the houses that we live in aren't free. Even, I always thought when my parents' house was paid for, man, they're going to have money extra because their house is paid for. Well, houses are never paid for, right? (laughs) Because don't pay the taxes for one year and see who owns the house after that. (laughs) Or if you don't pay the insurance and you have a calamity, guess what happens? You don't have a house. If you don't do the maintenance on a house, no, falls apart, right, after a number of years. Cars aren't free. Even cars that are given to you aren't free. Food costs money to live. And so there's a certain amount, amount of money it costs to live. And a lot of that, we choose how we're going to live, and we've got to think about how much it costs to live. As you're younger, these types of things come into play. Where do I want to live? What kind of job do I need to get? You know, the Bible doesn't speak specifically about any of these things we've talked about. What side of town do you live in or what kind of house do you buy or how much money do you spend on a car? Uh, How many times a week do you eat out? Uh, Do I need to live in Plainview or Lubbock or Dallas or what kind of job? Do I want to be an engineer or a plumber or an accountant or a teacher? The Bible doesn't speak directly about any of those things. But as we plan our life, especially as we're younger, parents help your kids think about these things. Uh, kids, if your parents do, or parents, if you don't think you know about those things, find somebody to help your children think about these things. Here's what's the worst thing to do, and I'll, I'll just make up a, a an example that's that probably all of us could relate to. I'll, I'll take my daughter, who y'all knows a doctor. What I told her is she finished college, and she went, well, when she went to medical school, she started borrowing money, and we're going to talk about borrowing money here in a little bit, because she couldn't have a job. It cost some money to go to college, and to live, and to eat, and I didn't have money to pay for that, but she knew she was going to have a job that would allow her to pay that back. The third year of medical school, when she was going to school and studying and thought the end of the world, and she owed six digits, I said, today is not the day to quit school, (laughs) you don't have any way to pay that back. <laughs> well, she could quit and be a She'd been a great teacher. Well, that $40,000 a year that a starting teacher makes to pay back six digits, she would have been paying that back till the day she died. So when I talk about younger people planning, college recruiters do this a lot. Oh yeah, you qualify for all these loans because of your family's income and your FAFSA and all that stuff. So here, take all these loans out and go to college and I can name you teachers that went to school and this was twenty years ago, so the, the pay was about thirty thousand a year, maybe twenty-five, and they came out of school owing about sixty or seventy thousand dollars, making twenty-five or thirty, and no way to pay it back. Well, as you help your child figure out what they want to do in life, and the same thing can be said for trade school. they are fly-by nights, and some legitimate. I mean, you go to Texas A&M University of Texas; all of those will loan you way more money than you can pay back just like a mortgage company will or just like a car dealership will. They're really, in some cases, not a lot different. It's up to us to plan and think about these things and and not because it's necessarily sinful, as I go back to the point I wanted to make, but it helps avoid complications in life because when life gets so complicated, that weighs us down and we read the parable about the, the cares of this world or the cares of life drowning out the seed that couldn't grow. That's what it does to us. Ephesians 4 and 28, Let him that that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Part of our planning, and sometimes we forget about it, is we have to plan to give. If we just wait for whatever's extra to give... There's never any extra, is there? Without a plan, there's never any extra. You can always find a way to spend everything you have. I don't usually carry around a lot of cash, but if I do, sometimes I'll, get, I'll go to the bank and get a 50 instead of ones, because guess what happens when I have ones? Seems like, boy, they go quick. Well, it's a 50, I try to think about it, and I don't like to break it. Maybe the convenience store won't break a 50, so I can keep it longer. Because if I don't have a plan... Oh, it's a dollar here, a dollar there, five dollars here, and pretty soon it's all gone. And in a bigger scale, that's what happens. If we don't plan, we can't fulfill this command. The command, not only to not steal, I would guess most of us are pretty good at that. Most of us don't walk around and steal. But are we holding up the other side? Are we giving like we should? And and there's always a danger, I suppose, when you talk about giving, and we're going to spend a little bit of time, hopefully not an inordinate amount of time, our congregation is very liberal and very generous. And so I'm not trying to get on anybody personally or as a group, but we always have to evaluate ourselves, and, and the evaluation is not in light of what I think the person across the aisle is doing or what the person at the back or what the person I think is well said or the, the evaluation is against God's word because when we evaluate ourselves against other people, We've already read that that's not very wise. So periodically we have to examine ourselves. You know That's what the Bible says when we give. We're going to read that here a little bit. We examine ourselves when we take the Lord's Supper, but we also consider in our hearts what we want to give. And we purpose in our heart what we're going to give. Here's what the Bible says, probably in a nutshell, about giving in 2 Corinthians 9. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall also reap bountifully. Every man according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give. Not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. God wants us to be generous. Not just with our money, but with our time, with our attention. He wants us to be wholly committed to, To his work. And when we do that. The way we spend our time. The way we spend our money. The way we spend our energy. Will reflect that. And I can't do it for you. And you can't do it for me. It's easy to put people on a pedestal. Or to pick people apart when we do that. I just have to look at me and say. Am I generous according to the biblical principles? Am I generous with my time? Or am I so caught up with what I'm doing that I don't think I have any time? The Bible says we don't have to give out of necessity. We don't have to give what we have to live. It takes a certain amount of money to live. How, how, do, you, how do you determine what's necessity and what's ne- not necessity? There's a lot of judgment, and that's what I'm hoping to pass on and hopefully you can get from other people, is you have to make comparisons to what you're really spending your money on versus what the biblical principle says spend your money on. Somebody told me a good, a good rule of thumb is to live on 80% of what you make, save 10%, and give away 10%. Now, I don't know where they came up with that number. Uh, the Bible doesn't say to save 10% or give 10%. It doesn't say to tithe. But what the Bible does say, and we'll read it here in a minute, is where our heart is, That's where our treasure is. Maybe practically spoken, where we spend our money, that's where our heart is. And so we have to ask ourselves, am I spending all of my money and time doing other things besides what God would have me to do to help further the kingdom? I can't answer that. You know, the Bible doesn't say all our money has to be given at church. It says give at church, but there's other places to give. There's a lot of ways to give and be generous, and the Bible wants us to be generous. That's how God wants us to be. Stingy people aren't godly people. People that don't blow their money, that's not stingy. You can be stingy if you, if you don't spend your money on a lot of things, but we have to measure ourselves up against what God says. Are we generous? Are we sowing bountifully, abundantly? Because that's what we're going to reap. We all understand the picture he's drawing. If we put two seeds in the ground, we're going to get two plants maybe. If it's like me, I might get one out of two to grow. But if you plant thousands of seeds, you get thousands of plants. And that's the picture he wants us to have about the way we invest our time and our money. And it goes against what we might think. Proverbs eleven twenty 24, there is that scattereth, this scattering bountifully as we read about, but it still increases. So in our minds, if we give away money, I've got a pot of money and I give it away, well, I'm going to have less in my pot. But he says it's just the opposite. Sometimes when you scatter, it increases. And there is that that withholdeth, that keeps it. But yet, it tends to poverty. So it's not always what our logic would tell us, what the world would tell us. That being generous is a good thing. And it doesn't have the effect that we think it will. Proverbs 22 and verse 9. He that hath a bountiful eye shall be blessed for he giveth of his bread to the poor. Again, speaking about the generosity that we're supposed to have. Be generous. It's easy to overlook the things and what's important sometimes. Matthew 25 and 40 at the end of a a long parable, the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. I'll tell you, my struggle with that is when I see people on the side of the street that have a sign that says, we'll work for food, or veteran, can't work, please, anything helps, or you can, you've all seen the signs in Lubbock or any other big town, or somebody else, my nature's think, boy, they're scamming somebody and not leave my money there. Uh, I learned a good lesson from one of my kids. One of his, they did some crazy jobs growing up, but his job was to mow the weeds in the parking lot of the old Kmart if you remember before it was a church, there were times that careless weeds grew up through the cracks in the sidewalk, four feet tall, six feet tall, and somehow I convinced him that would be a good job for him. And uh, living up in the corner of that deal, actually, there were some homeless people. Guess what he came home and told me he did? Well, I went and bought him a hamburger. I'm like, well, that was nice. And it kind of pointed out to me how maybe I overlooked some of the needs that need to be done. He was out there working, and some guy came by, fed him the likely story of, yeah, I uh, need $20 of gas money to go get my wife in Lubbock, and I'll come back and work for it when I get done. And he told me that at the end of the day, and I was like, well, I got some land in what, oceanfront property in Arizona I'll sell to you. And guess what? The next day when he was out there working, the guy showed up and actually worked. You know, sometimes our experiences jade us a little bit, and we forget how important it is to be generous. And, and really, it's not whether those folks are going to scam us or not. We're not giving the money just for their needs. We're giving the money for us and for God. And it's hard to do that. But when we've done it for the least of these, we've done it for God. Saving is an important thing. trying to think of a few principles I want you to stay with, that I want you to think about, especially as you're younger, and if you have young families, it <laughs> you can't be stressed enough that saving, and ultimately, nobody has money problems if you spend less than you make. <laughs> I guess I could have said that in the first 15 seconds and been done, right? The hard part's what's in between that. But the the long story of that is if you live paycheck to paycheck and spend everything you make when you make minimum wage or a very small amount of money when you're young, unless you apply these principles to life, guess what you'll do when you make more money? You'll spend every last thing that you have and not plan for the future. And guess where that ends up? If you live paycheck to to paycheck for a long time to the end of your life, guess what happens when you're 70 or 80? well, that just doesn't magically all happen and everything's comfortable. You live paycheck to paycheck when you're 70 or 80. And guess what you can't do? Go get another job. You can't plan for that. And so it's really important to apply these principles young. But it's important never to think it's too late to apply them. Because there's rainy days. Maybe not in West Texas except for the last couple. But we all know what a rainy day is, right? Things happen. Cars break down. Uh, Appliances go out. People get sick. There's all sort of things that require our money that we have to plan for. In dealing with my mother-in-law's passing, uh, it seemed like one of the ways she dealt with it, and it's a pretty common way for people to deal with their impending death, uh, especially when they're 50 or 60, is to think, well, I don't need to get my affairs in order with my business affairs and insurance policy and all that kind of stuff because I'm not going to (laughs) die. And what I came to the realization is you better get your stuff in order because guess what? You're not going to be the exception (laughs) to you're going to die. You're going to. And the same thing holds true. You're not going to be the exception that there's not going to be financial emergencies that come up. They're going to happen. I really can't tell you what they're going to be, but they will. And so you have to plan for that. Not planning for that is inviting a calamity. There comes a time, we talk about retirement, there comes a time that you uh, aren't going to be able to work and you need to be able to take care of yourself. Not going to go into a lot of detail, but I want to put up a, a small chart and just give you an example of what I mean in the power of saving and time. This was assuming a 6 or 7% interest rate, which is about what the stock market average rate of return has been over the last 30 or 40 years. If you say $5 a day, I keep pointing to the back. I forget y'all aren't looking at the back screen. If you say $5 a day and you did that for 10 years, you'd end up with $26,000. That's a lot of money. Say you could up at the 750. 750 days is about $225 a month, give or take a little bit. In 10 years, that's around $40,000. But if you're 18 or 20 and you've got 40 years to do that, guess what that amounts to? A little over $700,000. Now that's a lot of money, right? And here's the perspective I want you to think about in saving and planning. Probably most everybody here is eating at Chicken Express. Not much better than fried chicken. (laughs) But it's not cheap, right? What's it? cost for a meal, if you get just a meal for one with a drink and fries, you can pretty well bet you're going to spend $10. And it's pretty easy for us to get in the habit of saying, well, I've got to spend $10 a meal. And there's a lot of us that get in the habit of eating out every single day at $10 a meal. Now, nothing wrong with eating out. But what I'm trying to help you do is put in perspective, if instead of $10 a day on Chicken Express or Pick your favorite place to eat every day. Put that away and don't spend it. And and instead, eat for a couple of dollars a meal that's just as good at home. In 40 years, you can have enough money that you can retire and not be living paycheck to paycheck. Nothing sinful about living paycheck to paycheck, but it causes a lot of complications in life. And that mentality of spending less than you make makes a lot of other things fall into place. Uh, Just math. There's nothing magic about that. It's just math. So I'm not making it up. There's nothing complicated. I can show you the formula. Uh, It'll work for anybody that's disciplined enough to do that sort of thing and willing to make that commitment to plan and to save for a rainy day and for retirement. It's important, though, because the... Typically, the people that, that give you that kind of a sales pitch to save your money, the, the tendency is for them to think, well, now you're going to have all this money and you can be rich and you can be independent and it'll all be you. And so we've got to remember our goal is not to pile up money. We've been warned about that as well. Luke 12, we're going to read a little bit of the story of the rich farmer. Remember that story? He had a great grain harvest And how many times he used the word I, or my, or me in his statements about how he was going to build bigger barns and he was going to do all this stuff. It was me, 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 and I, I, I. And here was the warning that Jesus gave to us through that story. And he said unto them, Take heed, pay attention, and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. That's not what... The world teaches us remember my ways are not your ways the world teaches us that hey you're somebody special if you acquire a lot of stuff that's not what the Bible teaches us here's what he told that farmer thou fool this night thy soul shall be required of thee then who shall those things be which thou hast provided you remember the colloquialism that comes out of that point you never see a u-haul behind a hearse you can't take it with you that's what he's saying what about all this stuff you're a fool for thinking somehow there was great value in that and here's what the point he makes to us so is he so are we if we lay up treasure for ourselves and are not rich towards god doesn't say there's anything wrong with treasure But we've got to remember that comes from God, and we've got to be rich towards God. That's the point of having it. I want to spend a little bit of time talking about debt, because that's, I guess about every 20 years, our society as a whole gets taught another lesson that somehow debt's going to always come back to roost. So whether it was the... uh, What, 1980 savings and loan bust? Or those of you that are old enough remember that. About 20 years later, it was tech stocks. People were borrowing money left and right and overvaluing things, and tech stocks went bust. And a lot of people that were millionaires, billionaires, got poor all of a sudden. About 10 years ago, it was the the mortgage crisis. My bet is probably within 10 years, it'll be student debt crisis or credit card. There's all these things that somehow... As a society and as a whole, we just think we keep kicking the can down the road and it'll all work out in a good way. Debt that's not tended to and planned for never <laughs> works out very good. It always works out as a disaster, as a matter of fact. Uh, not going to say there's, that debt is all sin. We'll talk about that a little bit. But here are some of the problems that debt causes. It's easy to get upside down. Upside down means you owe more money on something than it's worth. It's about 100% true when you buy a car, especially if you finance it like uh, the salesman wants you to because they don't say, oh, pay for it in cash. You'll never hear a salesman say that. (laughs) You'll never hear a salesman say, pay for it in two or three years. It'll generally be five to seven years because that gets the payment low enough that you can afford it with your other expenses, but the problem with that is the $30,000 car that you take a seven year note on is worth 30000 this minute. And about 15 minutes later, after you get the title and you drive off the lot, it's worth about 15, 20% less. Now, there could be variations on that. But now something catastrophic happens and I have to sell my car to pay off the debt. And now I don't have enough value in the car to pay off the debt, so I owe more than it's worth. And that can happen in lots of scenarios. We're going to talk about that. There's nothing wrong with buying a new car. Not all car salesmen, I see Alan down there, and car salesmen are all out to steal from us. They're very honest salesmen. So there's nothing wrong with any of that, but we have to realize that we make our life complicated when we spend more money than we can afford because it makes small things become big things. Any of us with any age probably have gotten in that spot at some point in our life, and things that shouldn't matter when we're fussing and have different things, other things come up in our lives at home, they get way bigger than they would have been otherwise because all this weighs us down and it gets on our mind. And you'll, you'll talk to any marriage counselor. Financial problems, particularly debt, is one of the biggest causes and biggest factors that causes marriages to get, get to be upside down and to have problems because all those things make financial problems make every other thing uh, get amplified. Credit cards. Nothing evil about credit cards. I use a credit card a lot. Pay it off every month. Don't spend more than I have. Earn a lot of airline miles. A lot of you do that as well, so I can go on trips for free. But the the temptation of having easy money is to spend more money than I can pay back and think, oh, somehow I'm not going to have to pay that back. Because a lot of times what we buy on credit cards, we don't have anything to show for it. So if I think back to the picture in our our example about Chicken Express, if I put $10 on my credit card for Chicken Express three or four days a week, five, that's $50 in a month, that adds up to a couple hundred. And now a couple hundred on a credit card that I hadn't thought about for a while, and guess what I have to show for my couple hundred dollars that I spent? Maybe a few extra pounds and that's it, right? Nothing. And it's a temptation with credit cards. Oh, I just pay for it and now I've got the movie or I've got the $75 date where I've got movie and dinner or this or that, but I have nothing to show for it. It can be useful as I've talked about. There's ways to use credit cards where you can make money. So a lot of these things, there's nothing inherently wrong or sinful with them. It's all about making sure you, think about it that you apply principles because here's what happens with the credit card say you buy something for $2,500 and it comes to the end of the month and you go I don't have $2,500 that's why I put it on the credit card because I don't have $2,500 and so it'll pop up and it'll say oh there's a minimum payment you can make and my calculation about, about $59 a month would make the minimum payment oh I can afford $59 and so I start making the minimum payment well, guess how long it takes to pay off the minimum pay if you pay off that 2500 making the minimum payment? Eight years. And so that $2,500 that I put on probably something I don't have anything to show for. I've been paying up for all these years. And guess how much I ended up paying for whatever that $2,500 expense was with interest in that amount of time? More than double. And... That In that intervening eight years, guess what? There were other things that might have come up, and I might have put more on. And and it's easy to see, and we've all heard horror stories of people getting caught up in credit card debt. Um, The best thing is not to get there in the first place. If you're not, is to figure out how to get out. And that's where we talked about counselors. There's ways to do that uh, when we apply biblical principles because when this happens, it's miserable. When you wake up in the morning... You feel like there's somebody standing on your chest and it's on your mind when you go to sleep and it's on your mind the next morning when you get up. And that's not a way to live and be productive for the kingdom. And it can get better than that. That's what's the, the great thing about it. it. Causes worry and stress, dishonesty, addiction, denial of reality. And, and not that there's anything wrong with a certain amount of debt handled the right way. It just has to be considered and planned for and not all debt makes us miserable, but to make sure we keep it in our right place. And here's the fact about it more money's not the answer most of the time to debt. You can't spend your way out of debt. You've heard that saying before. If the practices that got us into debt and upside down in the first place aren't fixed, Guess what? My, my $30,000 car, when I make more money, well, now I can go to the dealership up the road, and now I can buy a $50,000 car. And guess how much money's left over at the end of that month? The same. I mean, if you remember back, I guess it was about 2008, during all the, the mortgage crisis, most of the people that you saw on the news weren't people living in $40,000 houses that were making minimum wage and barely getting by. All the people you saw, they were making, most of the ones I saw on TV, they were making two and $300,000 a year living in California in a $1.5 million house. But guess what they were doing? They were borrowing and owing way more money than they can pay back. And so it's not an income thing that gets us in the pickle. And more income doesn't solve it most of the time. Sometimes it may. I'm making a lot of generalizations. So again, I don't know anybody's personal situation, so don't take it as I'm picking on you. But by and large, more money is not going to solve the problem. Self-control is what solves the problem. Realizing that our money is a gift from God. It's not our money. Remember way back at the beginning, it's God's money. And it's our responsibility to put ourselves in a position where we can use what we've been able to gather to further the kingdom. These are the principles that God wants to put in our life, and when we apply those to the way we acquire and spend money, meekness, temperance, which is self-control. Against those kind of things, there's no law. When we're able to make money and be meek and temperate, well, then we do not have to worry about being the one that stole, but we'll have to give, that type of thing. Very easily, debt can put our life out of control, and just one thing will lead to another. Proverbs 22 and 7 gives us another principle. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. If you owe money to the bank, guess who owns your house? <laughs> and guess what happens if you decide to quit paying for it? It won't be your house anymore. And you can apply that to a lot of things, but it, it makes our... When, when And really what it's saying, when we owe money in a, in a big scale, not managed properly... Somebody else is setting our priorities for us. We can't do it anymore because we owe them and they're going to take it one way or another. So we have to adjust everything we're doing to make sure that we take care of their needs. So again, a certain amount of debt managed right is not going to kill us, but it's very easy uh, to let someone else set our priorities. And, and most of the time, their priorities are not going to be what God has set for us. Uh, we become a slave or a servant to that. Romans 13 and 8, Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loves another hath fulfilled the law. Not a a mandate to never have any kind of debt, but again a warning that when our priorities and our desires put us in a place to spend more than we have, then we can't fulfill the responsibilities and and the things that are really important in life. Proverbs 17 and 18, surety is a word we don't use a lot, but being a cosigner is kind of the, 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 the broad sense of what that means. A man void of understanding striketh hands or shakes hands in agreement and becomes surety in the presence of his friends. Cosigning for people, even people you think you know, is generally not a very good idea. Lots of things that can happen are out of our control, and... Uh, Again, Solomon wasn't always, and most generally this wasn't talking about necessarily being sinful or not. Think about the context that he was writing most of Proverbs. He was writing it to his son or to his children to help them avoid complications in life. And just a complication that can be avoided. You know, there's different kinds of debt. Sometimes it can be taking care of a house, done right. You can sell it and pay it off not necessarily still going to cost you money and has to be planned for, but it can be done and you not be upside down. A car, potentially, you could take a loan out on it and you might could sell it and pay off the debt. Credit cards typically aren't. You have nothing to show for it. You can't sell anything and pay off your debt. And and just a brief word, and we're going to close up here pretty quick. College has become the biggest... Scam's probably a little bit too strong of a word. I'm, I'm a big believer in, in college or trade school. Training yourself to have a skill that can allow you to earn money in an in a honorable way so that you can support your family and get back to the church, that's, that's a very good thing to do. But it has been sold as the cure all to everything. And easy access to money and loans has been available for, for the last 15, 20 years. And there hasn't been a lot of thought paid into, well, this particular degree is going to make me enough money to pay it back. And I encourage if you're at that spot, always consider that. It's always got to be paid back. And if you're helping your child, it, it's a good intention to want to help them get to college. But be sure that you financially look at it. Just going to college doesn't make your life good or bad. Um, it can do a lot of good things, it can do a lot of bad things, but what you don't want is to come out of college saddled with a noose around your child's neck that they're paying off for the next 15, 20 years. Because then the advantage they got by getting training is all soaked up in paying off interest and in, in the expense for, for what they did. I'm not saying there's not good investments, but it has to be considered. So, basic principles be honest. If you're in debt, you've all heard the saying, the best way to get yourself out of a hole, quit digging, right? Stop. It sounds so simple, and it sounds simple for me sitting here, but it's a lot harder than that in practice, I know. But that's the best way to get out of debt. First, you've got to stop. Develop a plan and get someone to help you, someone that you trust. Here's what I found out about when people have problems, myself included. I've experienced this personally when you get help from the elders or some other member of the congregation for something that you think is the worst thing ever, their goal is to help you. Their goal is not to blab around. They've known some things about me that would I wouldn't want anybody to know. And guess who they told? Nobody. Their goal is not to do that. Their goal is to help you get to a place where you can be a contributor To the kingdom. That's what our goal is. That's what the purpose of all this is. Get your spending under control. You don't have to eat out every day. You don't have to drive a new car. You can sell your new car and drive an old car. There's a lot of things we think are necessities. Uh, The saying, uh, this is a first world problem. There's a lot of things we think are necessities that really aren't. Sometimes a second job will help temporarily. I mean, as we said, spending, you can't just get more money and solve the problems. You know, things like this. Spend $500 a week on Sonic Cokes, or $500 a year. Eating out, you can spend $50, $40, $50 a meal on a family easily. And, and I'm going to throw this in just to help put it in perspective. It's easy for us to go to Chicken Express and feed our family for 50 bucks, And then I can roll out a 10 or a 20 when it comes time to give to the church. And there's nothing wrong with 10 or 20. I don't know your financial situation, but as you consider what you give, the, one of the ways that you can help determine what's the right amount is think about what do I spend on other things. And then think about, well, where my heart is, that's where my treasure is. And when you can put it in that perspective, with a good open heart, I don't know that your giving will go up or down, but that's a way to help purpose in your heart what's the right amount to give you know you can spend I say $20 for gas to Lubbock I think I did that uh, a few years ago we get reimbursed when we drive to Lubbock if you get mileage it's 58 cents a mile uh, $58 is what it, what's the expense if you work for the state that gets reimbursed so it's pretty easy for what we think is nothing it can add up really quick if you do it very much sell an old car you know, here's what's interesting. A $20,000 car, uh, if you take a loan out on it with the $100 insurance, because you've got to buy full insurance, will cost you 415 or so a month. About $31,000 is what a $20,000 car will cost you to operate, assuming you don't have to put tires and battery and all that kind of stuff over a five-year period. I know some really good $5,000 cars. may not be what I want, doesn't have all the doodads, but... Guess what? You can pay cash for it, and insurance costs you $60 a month instead of 100 And in five years, that car cost me $8,600 to drive instead of $31,000 to drive. And in our minds, we think, well, it's a necessity to have a new car, and, and I'm not trying to get into all the nitpicky things about that, but there are ways to think about things that we thought are necessities and they're really not. It's easy to spend $150 on cable or internet combination. Think about the monthly subscriptions we get. Cell phones, house phones. More money is generally not the answer. So as we think about applying these biblical principles, remember God owns it. And self-control is really the answer. And it's not self-control for the sake of self-control or not spending and controlling all this for the sake of piling up more money. It's so we can be better service to God. We want to be able to serve God with our minds and not have it distracted and weighted down by things uh, that aren't important like God's Word is. It helps us avoid complications so our life can be fuller. Going into debt to buy toys or things, good or bad, whatever they are in themselves, is not the answer to a happy life. Being godly is. It's a reflection of where our treasure is. What's really important to us, as Matthew six and twenty one says, "Where our treasure is, that's where our heart's going to be." So, let's put our treasure where our, we know our we want our hearts to be, and that is uh, on God. Hopefully, you found something useful, whether you're old or young. This morning, it's giving you something to think about. My goal in doing this, you know, is long term. It's short term and long term. If you're, a, if you're interested in something in more detail, please see me. Uh, there are some scheduled, regular things we can do that, that can help get things started. Whether you're young or old, it's a way that we can make our life and our service better to God. If there's some way that the church can assist you this morning, if you would like the prayers of the church for some reason, or if you've previously been taught and you would like to be baptized, we'd like to assist you with that. Uh, please come while we stand and sing the invitation song.